0: To be completely honest with you, uh, as a younger guy, I was riding a lot of kind of trickier horses and um, I sort of looking around, I'm friends with a lot of really good riders, which doesn't make it any easier, um, but I'm looking around going, you know, all these guys are going to four stars, five stars and, and, you know, I feel like I've been wasting time, you know, riding these tricky horses and, you know, kind of just not feeling like I was getting anywhere and I really resented that a little bit at times, you know, because I felt like I was like, what am I doing this for? And the funny thing is, is that now looking at it, I have the most talented horse I've ever had and I wouldn't have probably had any skills or tools to figure out a way to ride him had I not had that experience, you know, and I even have got close to going to a big one a couple of times and just fallen short. And now I sort of, again, you can resent that, but I look at it now, I'm like, well, isn't it cool that I'm hopefully going to get to go on a really talented horse for my first go?
1: Welcome to Practical Horseman's podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show, which runs every other week, is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Emily Daly, and this week's episode is with Dominic and Jimmy Schramm a husband and wife dynamic duo who are international three-day event riders. Dominic, who typically goes by Dom, and Jimmy are favorites of many eventing enthusiasts, and for good reason. They're passionate about the sport and their horses, and their tenacious, hardworking mindsets are inspirational. Both are well-known for their positive teaching styles, and Dom is a popular clinician traveling all around the country sharing his knowledge with fellow eventers. As two of the top up-and-coming riders in the U.S., they've developed a bit of a fan club over the past few years, beginning perhaps with their popular YouTube channel, Evention, which covers an array of horsemanship topics, among other things. I definitely recommend checking it out because it's informative and hilarious. As you'd be able to tell from his accent, Dom grew up in a small outback town in Australia, half a world away from Jimmy, who began eventing in Texas. Dom was lucky to train with top international riders, and his passion for eventing took him all over Australia, England, Germany, and ultimately to the United States, where he made his home in 2010. Jimmy also worked with some of the most respected trainers in the U.S., helping her gain the experience needed for her debut at the Rolex Kentucky 3-Day Event a few years ago. I'd wanted to chat with this pair for a while, and I finally got the chance to pin them down at the Eventing Showcase in Aiken earlier this spring. At the time, Dom was gearing up for his first trip to a five-star event with his top horse, Bali B, as well as juggling a busy teaching schedule. Dom and Jimmy are truly a team. It was a stressful whirlwind weekend for them, with Dom being focused on his competition and Jimmy driving hours through the night to pick up one of their star young horses who was recovering from a colic scare at a vet clinic. Fortunately, the horse turned out to be completely fine. With everything going on, I was so appreciative that they took the time out of their hectic day for this interview, but that's just the type of people that they are. And now, let's get right into our conversation with Dom and Jimmy. You'll hear them chat about how they met and launched their business together, some of their training and teaching insights, and also get a sneak peek into the exciting new horses they have for the future. I kick off the interview by asking them how this unlikely duo from Australia and Texas came to be two of the most popular U.S. eventing pairs in the sport today.
2: Dom and I met. I was uh, looking for a horse to buy at the time I was still in, um, at college in, in Auburn, Alabama. And um, at the time, I was uh, had gone to visit Jenny Brannigan, who was at this point in time working for Philip. So we were in Aiken, and I met Ryan Wood as well while I was there, and um, yeah, so I'm like looking for this horse to buy, and, and, you know, Ryan says to me, oh, you should call my mate in Australia, you know, he'll he'll give you a good price, he'll give you a good deal, and I said, <laughs> I, said I don't really want a horse from Australia, like the, the whole budget would be what it would cost to send it over here, so um, either way, he keeps at it, keeps at it, and uh, Jenny says, you know, you might like him, because I guess they had all... You know, well, I guess we didn't have FaceTime at that point, but it was Skype, so they'd all Skype chatted before, and and I was like, I definitely don't want a boyfriend from Australia, you know, like that's that's not necessary. But either way, it was kind of um, an ongoing joke for the weekend, and then I I came home and um, I had a couple of glasses of wine and Facebook stalked Dom for a bit and ended up sending him a message, and it said. Woodsy said that you would help me find a horse and that you were going to be my next boyfriend. And then I sent it.
0: That was literally, that was the opening line. That was honest. And I, no, there wasn't even a hi or a hello. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> she came she came on pretty bold.
2: Yeah, either way, you ended up riding me back and you said, I don't know about the boyfriend part, but I can help you find a horse but either way. So then we just kind of started talking about horses and then we kept talking and then we talked for about, I don't know, four four or five months, six months. And then I just flew over and met him in Australia. And and then the rest is kind of history.
1: And so when did you come over here, Dom? And just tell me a little bit about your early life in Australia.
0: Um, So, I mean, I had a a, uh, I guess a pretty normal introduction into ponies, my mum rode, um, I grew up in Charleville in outback uh, Queensland, Australia, tearing around and you know going to pony club, that kind of thing. Um, I actually didn't jump a lot as a kid, uh, my mum didn't jump, it was something that came to me uh, later on that I tried it and I actually was terrible at it, I'm the, I had the least amount of natural talent uh, jumping a jump that you've ever seen. Um, but either way, so, you know, I kind of got exposed to eventing, uh, when I was in my, uh, like 11 or 12 and, um, did my very first true event. We have an event in, um, the town I went to school in, uh, called the chicken run. It's been going for a long time. It's still going now. It's this unrecognized event where, um, they have the divisions the aren't, um, they don't, they, they're called like you're in the pullets or the old broilers or the young chicks. Uh, and so you you kind of go off age, you you do the dressage test that you want to do, you can jump the show jumping you want to do and then the course is like open flag so you can either jump the little thing or you can jump the really big thing and I, to be honest it's one of the best things um, because it, it gives you, it's a less intimidating way of getting exposed to it. So I went there on an old quarter horse and tore around at a mark 10 um, and you know had a couple run outs and Managed to stay on the horse, but that was really where the bug set in. I realised I'd really love going fast and going jumping cross country, and uh, so just kind of pursued it ever since. Um, and you know, meeting Jimmy, um, you know, I'm very lucky. Some of my closest friends, like Boyd and Ryan, uh, who are a few years ahead of me, they they had um, they kind of paved the way for me a little bit, and then they came. You know, Boyd was always talking to us about the promised land of america and and ryan and i were, we, when equine influenza hit australia we are sort of young guys that were looking to broaden our horizons and um so eventually you know, i had plans to move here and uh it just so happened that keeping in touch with ryan and boyd and they were sort of inspiring me um i happened to cross paths with jimmy um so yeah as she said we we kind of did the long distance thing for a while and as i was getting gearing up to wanting to move here and i moved over on the 15th of august 2010 so i've just been here eight and a half years and you know, we started our business um, on our own in 2012 so we're we're coming into our seventh year of, of sort of doing it full-time i guess as professionals if you will
1: you traveled all over the world i mean you've done a lot of different international events um, who were some of your mentors
0: so I started out with uh, Christopher Burton, I would say would be my biggest influence. I, I got the chance to be a working student for him right out of high school and he was a um, he was he was probably at a similar point to where I'm at now. Um he was just breaking through and had some horses and so it was an awesome time to be um, kind of getting that exposure. I got to see where he first got selected for a team for a trans-tasman championship. I got to go to four stars and um, so that was a really cool thing to kind of see him transition I real, it's kind of I, I, I draw on some of my experiences with that now as I'm starting to get closer myself to breaking through a little bit um, but yeah going to England going to Germany places like that it's it's a big wide world out there and I think the more you can do that as a young person the better because you just get exposed to so many different ideas you know like you know, one of the things that just as an example, it stands out to me, you know, I worked at a stallion station in Germany and we had this big communal wash stall and there were, I remember we walked the stallions in there and there would be eight stallions in this huge big wash stall and like they could walk a mare through there. And if those stallions even, you know, blinked an eye, they'd be like, Hey, you know, pay attention. And I, I'd never seen horses be able to have that level of discipline before. It was just, I remember one of those things I was like, wow, this is It's crazy how much of an art these guys have it down to and the history of it, you know, and like the sport in England is just when you go there, you realize it sort of is the home of eventing. And I don't know, it's just really cool to get that perspective.
1: And Jimmy, growing up on the other side of the world, you started competing in Texas and you competed through college and you trained with a lot of really great people too. Tell me a little bit about that and some of your early horses.
2: Being in Texas, everyone kind of just makes the assumption that you're going to go the Western route, and that just didn't happen for me. And you know, I I had a really great start with um, you know Pony Club, and I had a really good instructor growing up, uh, Chrissy Hall, who you know pretty much navigated me through all of my lower levels into the into the one star level, and then um, I went to I went to school, and I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Mike and Emma Winter, who were based in Georgia at the time. You know, it it was funny. Everyone talks about this like stigma of the East Coast and it is a different ball game out there. So I learned a lot from them just in how to function at FEI events, how I'm supposed to wear my hair and my helmet, you know, that I shouldn't be wearing bright yellow cross-country vests and fire saddle pads you know like just they cleaned me up a lot and they taught me a lot about the horse management and I got to groom at a lot of FEI events and um, you know groomed at a Kentucky or two and so that was really fascinating and they they you know got me to my first you know two stars and and that sort of thing so that was really special and um, yeah so and then they they moved um, back to England and I was graduating from school and I actually ended up on the west coast in California with Tammy after I with Tammy Smith after I graduated and um at the time I had a really tricky horse I guess Bellamy and she's amazing with with difficult horses so it was a natural fit and it gave me the opportunity to see what the west coast was like and and see that style and my work with her was invaluable and she I, we got to work with so many different horses and she let me do a lot and ride a lot and kind of gave me some freedom to to do a bit which was which was cool um yeah and then of course I met Dom and we decided to come back east and because Bellamy had gotten hurt and we were just found, had found um, a job out here but yeah they the all all of my help that I've had coming along the way you know it's they're all influenced or influencers of mine and I still keep in touch with all of them so that's pretty cool too I just want to talk
1: a little bit about some of your training philosophies Dom what do you think are some of your strengths as a rider and what are some of your weaknesses what are some things you might struggle with
0: that's a great question I think my background and how I got into the sport kind of lends itself to I probably have more of a strength from the cross country side of things I think a lot of us um, young Aussie boys got into the sport purely f- as kind of thrill seekers, and then we built our riding around that and then tried to slowly get better at the other stuff, if that makes sense. So I would say that I think um, I, f- I feel confident with the way I train them cross country. Um, I have had a lot of um, experience, fortunate or unfortunate, it, it actually helps me a lot now, but with um, more tricky horses, young horses. So I felt like that really helps um, it helped me uh, understand like how young horses learn about like say ditches for the first time and stuff like that having to deal with ones that had some issues I think that um, it's helped me be more efficient now with the young ones. I'd say my weaknesses a lot of the stems from just more of the um, finer points I would say like you know today in the dressage test and the position and just the, the stuff that, will take you from being kind of amongst it to being super competitive i think that that's still something i'm trying to learn um and you know getting to the top level you know there are so many details that can make a difference and i've had a lot of horses i feel like where i've been going on the way and one thing or another has happened and i haven't quite got to that last um that sort of last step you know to the really big leagues and I'm kind of, I feel like I'm very close to that now. And it's, it's definitely a challenge. You have to take lots of lessons. I'm, I'm thankful I have lots of really good influences, um, in, you know, Richard Picken, James Burtwell, Boyd and Philip. Um, those guys have been really helpful to kind of help me, uh, get better at that. But I, I would say that's always a work in progress. And, um, at the end of the day, you know, I just think you're always looking to get stuff, new stuff, you know, I think you've always got to have a student's mindset and then that way you're always open to getting things better. And I, I think the people that I respect, the writers that I look up to all have that quality. So I try to maintain that for myself.
1: And Jimmy, I saw in an interview you had mentioned that you heard uh, U.S. team coach Eric Devander say to a rider to stop practicing your bad habits. And how does that resonate with you and your own training philosophies? I could
2: say that, you know, af- after hearing that, basically I just have become a bit more meticulous about every step that I, that I, that I take when I'm riding, um, you know. And and I when I teach a lot of students I I have this same thing and it it's something I harp on you know it's you know when you're jumping like let's say you're having a jumping lesson or something and you do a transition even as simple as from walk to trot or trot to canter and it's not is something as acceptable that you would want in the dressage like if you wouldn't accept it in the dressage you shouldn't accept it when you're jumping, you know, so go back and repeat, go back and repeat. So there's a lot of repeating going on, <laughs> you know, because you, you try and just make your horse understand that, you know, it, you're not trying to be mean and you're not trying to be unfair, but there is a standard that needs to be upheld and you have to be disciplined with, with that. Um, and I think that's the only fair way to do it to the horse. So that's what I took from that and I try and relay that to my students as much as possible.
1: And and you teach quite, I mean, you both teach quite a lot. And Dom, it seems like you're doing clinics all the time. Um, and what are some of the key issues that you see a lot of riders struggling with? Do you find yourself repeating a lot of phrases and practicing, helping them overcome certain key issues?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I see a lot of similar things. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're in Seattle or Alabama. It tends to be, um, I would say there's there's a couple different um, i do not even boxes, but similar themes. I think one of the biggest ones uh, that I see, most common ones, is when someone has a, a horse. You know, whether it's an off-the-track thoroughbred or, you know, a horse that's a little bit more um, forward-thinking, a little more eager. Which is actually, you know, I say to them, you know, sometimes that horse has just got too much of a good thing. The fact that the horse wants to go forward and wants to go to the jump, that's actually a positive. But sometimes what ends up happening is, is in, in, in sort of an effort to have control, the riders will go too far the other way and whether it's going up in bits or whether it's, you know, just losing the idea of still riding the horse forward to the bit, you know, it's so easy to just pull and take your leg away on a horse that wants to go forward because that's the obvious thing, but at the end of the day, in order to have a horse that's going to, like, take... Um, you know, your aids, you have to train it, whether it's hot or not. And um, so, you know, I would say before, like in that instance, a lot of the work is not so much jump related. If it's coming out and then jumping, that's just a symptom. I would say, you know, it's about going back to the flat work and being, finding ways to put your leg on the horse and, you know, there's a great saying that lazy horses need to learn to go from less leg and hot horses need to learn to go with more leg, you know, and it's kind of true, you know, that they have to be able to accept it and not overreact. And a lot of times you'll see almost immediate improvement in the, in the sort of running at the fence or whatever it may be. But I, I would say that would a lot of times would be the most common one. And then as from a riding standpoint, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of people that struggle with something that's fear based and They may not think of it that way. They may not think to themselves, I'm afraid of getting hurt. But if you really break it down, some of the habits or some of the things that they do stem from a bad fall they may have had or, you know, um, the fear of failing in the arena or something like that. So I try to, if if I sort of see something like that happening, I try and explain it because I think if you have a better understanding of where it's coming from, it makes it easier at home day in and day out to hopefully address it and, and improve it.
1: I mean, and along those lines, how do you stay mentally focused and mentally in the game? You know, especially if something doesn't go well, how do you stay on goal and on task, um, you know, at an event um, or in your own training? I mean, horses can break your heart. It's disappointing. It's so tough. It's such a tough sport. So how do you really stay focused on your goal?
0: that's a great question um so like for example today i've got my great horse bolly tear b here and um he if you see him go he is a fantastic horse is super talented as is is as capable as any horse out here um you know and he got a little hot today and it's disappointing because he was very competitive say even last week at pine top and today he kind of dropped his bundle or we dropped our bundle together a little bit I think at the end of the day, you know, it's such a big picture sport, you know, um, it takes so long to get them there. And, you know, for me, I would say the CCIs, the big three days, Kentucky, it happens to be this year, they, that, that become, is the focal point for me. And then you sort of start from there and work your way back. And so, you know, it's hard. I come off the, off the test disappointed because there's a lot, not just me, there's a lot of people working really hard for this uh, combination to come together. But at the same time, you can always turn it around and say, well, I'm kind of glad that happened today so that I have time to maybe go back and look at my warm-up or whatever it is. Um, you One thing I have learned the hard way is you've got to be really careful not to attach your fulfillment or your joy or whatever you want to call it to your results because (laughs) eventing has so many things that can happen and go wrong, as you said, and if you're... If you're, if all your satisfaction comes from how well you do on the weekend, you're gonna spend so much time disappointed that it will be hard to, you know, be resilient. Because you know at the end of the day, you just have to be ready for things to not go to plan. Now, hopefully, one day it does. But um, you know, I think I try really hard to, even if it, even if I'm really struggling, you know, if it's a tough, tough pill to swallow, like say for today, I think it's important just to reconnect you know I, I i was lucky enough to to contact and have a discussion with bolita's owner janet today you know and she was really supportive and was like hey you know this is the, the same the same ingredients that make him tough in that situation are also what make him special and make him fancy so it's a double-edged sword we will adjust for the next show and that made me feel a lot better and i talked to my coach james burtwell and he said, you know, look, the horses got some of the best canter work here today. <laughs> it was just a little too much. And you can kind of go, okay, so this is all uh, too much of a good thing. So we just have to regroup and, you know, keep
1: moving forward. And Jimmy, what, uh, what do you think motivates you? You know, you guys have such a busy life. You have lots of different horses of different levels coming along. How do you stay motivated in your goals and bringing along these horses and in
2: your business and in your own riding? To be honest with you, I think a lot of it is that Dom and I really like to have fun. And this is fun for us. You know, it's fun for us to um, get out and ride every day and take lessons. You know, and the other day we got to cross-country school, our, you know, intermediate advanced horses together, and that was really fun. So it's easy to stay motivated when you have a good team and you have a good support crew behind you. And it's great that we have each other because we, you know, when one's feeling a little bit you know, lacks, the other one can kind of give you a hand up. Um, So that, that's really cool. And I think, I do think it helps that we have a lot of support that's also cheering us on and, and, you know, wanting us to do well. And I mean, there's always room for improvement, obviously, but it's not that difficult really to stay. I I don't think we find it that difficult to stay motivated because we have this amazing life and amazing job. I think The hardest thing for us is, you know, trying to figure out how to make it all work and to try and do more of the things we love to do. You know, we love to compete. We love to take lessons. And that's, you know, why we do this. So we have to work really hard so that we can do the things that we want to do.
1: So I just want to hear a little bit more about Bali tear. He is one of the, you've brought along a couple of horses up to the three star level since you've been here and he's one of your current ones right now and saw him go today and he just has this presence about him. I mean, he is just such a cool horse, but he's had a lot of ups and downs. You've been really patient and just bringing him. So tell me a little bit about um, kind of your time with him.
0: So, he, yeah, he is some horse. Um, so he's a 13-year-old uh, Dutch horse that's uh, owned by uh, the Giesemann family. Originally, he was the intention was for him to be for Connor Giesemann. And um, as you saw today, he's a lot of horse. He's very powerful. And um, at that time, early on, he was, a few years ago, I guess he was quite the handful. Not, not even in a, in a bad or a sinister way. He just had a lot of power. He's very comfortable in his back legs. And... One of the worst things, one of the one of the difficult things with him is that especially in tense situations like in the start of the cross country, warming up for the like around the dressage or something like that, or in the show jumping, he would have a bit of a panic in him, and when he did, he would make poor decisions. He would spin or stand up or not go forward. So um you know they he he kind of got to a point where they, you know they weren't really sure what to do with him. Um, the, everybody, no one has ever doubted the horse had ability. But the issue was the rideability and whether or not we were gonna find a way to get him um, confident enough to be able to keep it together for a show. So, uh, you know, they con- uh, Connor contacted me and asked me, you know, if I'd sort of work with him a little bit and see if maybe they could, we could sell him. And when he came and he, he was tough, um, you know, I tried to, I rode him in the indoor and I thought, oh wow, this horse is great, he's super. And I tried to take him outside and I took two steps and he spun around and ran back into the barn. I was like, oh dear. So um, you know, to cut a long story short, I didn't have I didn't have an answer. I didn't know exactly what to do. Um, he was a little bit outside the box, so I for him I took the rider out of the equation. I actually long lined him a lot, and I, I I had done a little bit of it. I wouldn't say I'm an expert. I used it when I break in horses and stuff like that. But basically, my theory was if what I could long line him and get him confident, I was behind him, so there was no confusion as far as with the rider getting involved if he wanted to jump up and spin around and you know because that's intimidating you know for you especially if they if they get really high up so I was the idea was that by being behind him being able to steer him that kind of encouraged him to go forward I made him he had the most supercharged cluck that you've ever seen if I clucked at him he went forward and uh, we did miles and miles and miles. Um, like we were going, I took him everywhere. I took him to cross country schooling and I would long line him through the water and up and down banks and jump jumps even on a turn. and. I took him to competitions, I long-lined him. I mean, Philip and Boyd, it was a bit of a running joke for a while. They're like, you ever going to ride this horse? But the idea being was that, A, the the clock would kind of carry over. That's the one thing, or I think, is the one thing you can carry over from the ground to associate with an aide. So that was the idea, was that when I finally got on him, if if I felt that feeling like he was going to get panicked, if I put my leg on and clucked with it, I had... So that was, and thankfully, I mean, I didn't know if that was going to work. And um, thankfully, it seemed to work. The other thing with him was, you know, cross country, he would get a little strong and a little nervous in the warm-up. Just, I think, through exposure, he's gotten good. I actually walked in the middle of a couple cross-country courses just to kind of keep it interesting for him, catch him a little bit off guard and him sort of go, oh, hang on, I don't have it all, you know, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. And it turns out, though, the horse is actually, he's by far the best cross-country horse I ever rode. And he's just so bold, show jumping. I mean, he's a real triple threat. Yeah, I've learned a lot about horses. And to be completely honest with you, uh, as a younger guy, I was riding a lot of kind of trickier horses. And um, I sort of looking around, I'm friends with a lot of really good riders, which doesn't make it any easier. Um, but I'm looking around going, you know, all these guys are going four stars, five stars. And, and you know, I feel like I've been wasting time you know, riding these tricky horses and, you know, kind of just not feeling like I was getting anywhere. And i really resented that a little bit at times, you know, because I felt like I was like, what am I doing this for? And the funny thing is, is that now looking at it, I have the most talented horse I've ever had. And I wouldn't have probably had any skills or tools to figure out a way to ride him had I not had that experience. You know, and I even I've got close to going to a big one a couple of times and just fallen short. And now I sort of, again, you can resent that, but I look at it now, I'm like, well, isn't it cool that I'm hopefully going to get to go on a really talented horse for my first go? So, you know, I guess you've got to have a glass half full um, mentality sometimes, but I will say he... he I really believe he's world class. We just, um, you know, we're go- we're going to have our day. It just might take us a little more angling.
1: <laughs> well, in speaking of world class horses, I just want to talk to you, Jimmy, about ch- uh, your, the one you took to um to Kentucky Bellamy. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with him.
2: Yeah, he's actually fat with three inches of hair at the moment. Retired out in in the field in Pennsylvania and enjoying his his retirement. Yeah, he was. He was a really cool horse. I uh, actually bought him from Tammy Smith and Margie Malloy, and um, he was, again, a, a trickier horse. He actually has uh, a pretty big cataract in his right eye, so he couldn't see very well, and he had a really bad spin. He was really horse shy, probably because of that eye, I'm I'm assuming and uh, yeah so we had a we had a hell of a time um in every warm-up he was a hotter type but he was a little freak jumper you know just unbelievable there were so many rounds I should not have jumped clean and he was just you know jumped out of his skin for me so that was pretty special and um it, you know Kentucky was a really ma- amazing experience um I'm clawing and fighting my way to get back since I uh I didn't get to complete Uh, I was pretty close (laughs) you know falling off at the fifth from home is a little devastating but you know it's I'm I'm still not quite over it I think it's been like four or five years and I'm still not quite over it and I don't know if I ever will be you know I'm just disappointed for bells and and myself but um yeah, a right-handed brush corner was our nemesis, and it called us out that day, and that's disappointing. You know, he took me everywhere I wanted to go. He took me to every FEI event and all over the country and taught me so much. So, I mean, that's why he's out in the field, just hanging out. He's retired, very sound and, and happy. And, you know, hopefully by the time he's, I don't know how old he'll have to be, but hopefully when we have kids at some point, he'll be quiet enough to cart them around, I hope.
1: And you guys have quite a really interesting group of young horses coming along this little group of future event stars tell me just a little bit about some of these youngsters
0: so i have two really nice ones uh one that just actually just got out of the hospital today we broke her out quadracana so she is a coming six-year-old german sport horse she's she has the Ricana in her name because she is um out of fisher Ricana's full sister so I was very, very lucky to have her and very lucky she just, she colicked when we were at Pine Top, and thankfully came through. Just had to have a few days of observation, but uh, super horse, like one of the nicest ones I've ever had. Um, and just a lovely horse to ride. She was in the top 10 there at uh, the Young Event Horse Championships last year. And i, I got to say, I, I really enjoy having them as young ones. I like getting them at four or so and bringing them through. And I would say I'm pretty conservative the fir- their five-year-old year. Like, she only did her first event, I think, in the summer. And then she's only done maybe three events in her career so far. And that's not because I'm not riding her. She's at home schooling and she's very, you know, she would confidently go to a Chevron or, you know, whatever right now. But I just think you don't need to run the guts out of them when they're five coming six. And then maybe this year I'll do a little more with her. Um, She was looking to do her first training level here, but uh, obviously had to to go to the, the vet. Um, but she's lovely. And then I have another fellow Casalto, who's a real fancy guy. he's um he's another German horse, a lot more thoroughbred. He's much he's a big big mover, um, a real galloper. He's a lot more sensitive. He'll be on a slower track than um than Q, but in a way he's probably flashier and probably like if you saw him go, he would be the one that would really make you turn your head. And he's actually a really lovely horse. I'm having uh, good progress with him. He's growing a lot. He's kind of changed, and I think that changes the balance on these big moving horses. So I feel like you'll be careful not to overdo it on him. Um, but uh, he'll he he will be a really nice one. Um, you know, the challenge is trying to find the ones that have all the pieces. I really feel like he's as he's as close as I've ever got that has ticks every box. It'll just be making sure he stays confident and um, you know, a little bit of a quieter year. But I think as a seven-year-old, I think he's going to be
2: hard to beat. So. Uh, I just have really one other horse and she's actually not young anymore. She's uh, seven this year. We got her as a four-year-old. Her name is Eclair. She's a German sport horse as well and is owned by uh, Mark Bellissimo and myself. And... um, (laughs) No, he just keeps trying to poach her from me. But uh, no, she's... This has been such a cool, uh, cool journey with her. She is an incredible horse. Um you know, she's hopefully you know going to be going um two star probably by the end of th- or I guess sorry, three star by the end of this year. This is going to take everyone a little while to get used to that. Um but this has been really fun. You know, this is kind of the first one I've done from the very very beginning and, and been able to do it by myself, not, you know, like sharing with someone else or whatever and uh she's fantastic. She did um you know, one stars all last year and was, I think in the top 10 at every FEI competition she went to, except for maybe the last one, because I ran really slow. It was pretty muddy. She's incredible. She took a little longer. She's very much a, uh, an FEI type horse. Like she would not be a horse trials warrior. You know, she's, she's fancy. She's a good mover, but she's She's not everyone's style, I guess you could say. She's a looks a bit thoroughbredy and she goes a little bit that way. Dom calls her the whippet. But she's you know, she's affectionately affectionately, affectionately the whippet. But she's tall and lanky. She's kinda like a German supermodel, strictly business and uh, but she's a joy to ride and we just did our first intermediate together at Pine Top and she was um, overbold, if anything, cross country, which is great. It's what I want. I'm just trying to ease, ease her back a little bit on the cross country field. She just likes to get a little over exuberant, but she's cool and um, I'm really excited about her and excited to see what the future holds with her as well.
1: So this is a little bit of a twofold question but if you could take any famous horse past or present for a little spin around cross country who would it be and what are some of the things you look for in an event horse
0: well i think we're all trying to figure that uh, piece of the puzzle out i mean it's it's something that it's i i find this whole part really intriguing i love the whole i've I become more and more interested in the breeding not necessarily because i'm breed specific i don't care really what the breed is i just think it's interesting looking at what are making up the horses that are successful and what the, the ingredients that i sort of seem to get drawn to i really like a more of a blood sort of horse more of the thoroughbred type horse i think I've learned about more about the feeling and the jump on what is like a sustainable jump, what scope feels like, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's easy to sit on a horse that's only four and it jumps kind of big and scared over a little jump and you think, wow, what a big jump. But then you think, okay, when they're seven or eight and they need to, it's a different sort of feeling when you want them to take you down to Ian Stark's big water at Carolina or, you know, it's a different feeling. So I would say very much i think about their mind i want them to sort of want to work and want to take me forward that's a big thing you know in their jump i think they need to be quick with their feet i think the modern sport you need something that's going to be um, a little sharper i guess you could say because of the nature of the show jumping and then just them to be quick thinkers i don't as far as the dressage movement i really couldn't care too much about the trot Uh, that's one thing if, if they move too good in the trot, it almost makes me a bit worried. I'm thinking, okay, am I just getting sucked in on the trot? I think a quality canter that's easy to collect. And then just, you know, a good outline. Dressage is, is about getting a nice outline and it's easy for the horse. Um, as far as a horse that I would love to have a sit on, uh, my favorite horse in the world right now is a horse called Toledo de Cursor, who's a, a French bred horse that uh, Tom McEwan rides. He's I think he just looks the, the full package. Um, As far as a horse that, uh, like past horse, I thought that Murphy himself was always a really cool horse to watch go around. Just a true all-terrain vehicle that just sort of made it look uh, like he just loved it. So I I thought he was, I don't know if I could ride one side of him, um, but he definitely looked like a blast.
2: I think as far as, I mean, Dom and I are pretty similar as far as what we're looking for and our ideas of, what's going to make a ni- a nice horse um i think for me to there's two things um one i have to like actually really love riding it you know i i you know it's really easy to get on something and and know from the ground that it's a beautiful horse it's a good mover it's a good jumper and then you get on it and you think i'll just learn how to ride it or i'll learn how to like it and really the horses don't change that much you know i mean they do a little bit but you don't really learn to l- Maybe some people do. Myself in particular, I don't think that I do. So it's important for me to actually really love riding it, whether that means I end up with something that's maybe not as fancy or as good a jumper per se, but I love riding it. That means in my head I'm going to want to ride it every day, be on it every day, train it every day. And I think I'll put more effort into something that I love riding as opposed to something that I know is just super nice because it can be really actually disheartening to get on a horse that's very, very nice and feel like you can't ride it. So that would be one thing. And um, for me, too, because I, I don't have, I'm not gifted with a very good natural eye. I have to practice at it a lot to see a good distance. So it's important for me to get on something with either a consistent canter or one that I just for some reason can see, <laughs> you know, see uh, a good distance on to the jumps wi- uh, with. So those two are um, important to me and i've been racking my brain on what horse i would would want to sit on and there's one i normally choose and i it's like slipping my my head at the moment oh. and i can't think of you mustn't want to ride that much. i know i must not want to ride it that much but the one that keeps popping in my head right now is supreme rock because that horse was just incredible of pippa funnels and um but yeah that's who's poking in my head of, of a good horse to go cross country on so yeah
1: and you guys obviously spend so much of your life with the horses, but when you're not completely involved in the horses, what's something that you like to do for fun?
0: Um, I don't really like to have fun. Um, I, yeah, I, I try not to do... Uh, well, I I just find that I'm sort of um, immersed in it, whether it's being... Anytime I'm away, I'm normally away teaching, and then I'm trying to come home because I don't want to, I want to ride the horses. So, I mean... If I had to say what I what we like to do, I, we like to go out to eat, um, if we can. It, that's one of our, I guess, hobbies, I guess we could say. Um How horrible um, answering this question. <laughs> um, you make us sound so boring. Well, I'm kind of boring. You're less... Bo- okay, you should keep answering it.
2: Dom's not that boring, actually. When when he's at home to like get away from the horses or to kind of zen out, he'll video game, which is appropriate and... He's got a dungeon that he goes into, and he games, and that's how he, you know, hangs out. Um, but no, we go bowling. We actually went bowling not too long ago. Right. We went and played pool the other night. We actually really do ac- like activities. And if we go on a vacation, like, we like to go to, to um, the Caribbean a lot. We'll go to uh, Punta Cana sometimes, and we're always active. He loves an activity during the day. Um, like yeah, it loves hiking, that kind of thing. Um, for me, I I love fun. So I love to travel um, and I do love hiking. I'm trying to get myself back into working out because I did really love that. And I took a break and now I'm going to try and get back into it again. Um, but Dom and I are actually real, I wouldn't want to say we're foodies, but hungry. we're not foodies. But we We're appre- just hungry. We're just hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and um we do like we like to try new stuff new restaurants and that kind of thing so that that is fun for us we used to go to a lot of concerts and we kind of backed off that for a while i think we just get so sleepy you can't stay up late but yeah that's pretty much what we do dom
1: what's one of the what's some of the best advice you've ever received
0: Uh, um i've had got lots of had some good advice over the years i think um I think just the, the saying of you have to find joy in the process, I think that's a really good one, especially, it's one you can tell yourself when things aren't going well, you say, okay, you know, I, I really just, like I mentioned, that horse that just went to, um, to the hospital, you know, you're not quite sure what's going to happen. It really makes, it puts things in perspective, you know, not, you're not... You realize, oh, actually, just the day in and day out and being around the horses and, you know, getting to know them and having a soft spot for them. And that's actually the part of it that's special. Like the results are great and going across countries a blast or whatever. But it really is the hours that you put in to getting them there. That is the that's the whole point, I think. So I try and tell myself that a lot when I'm starting to get stressed out. Um, But, yeah, I think that's probably the best advice I've ever been given.
2: I actually uh, was listening to a podcast the other day, and of course I can't remember who it was. it was. He's an ex-football player. But he was saying that when he feels like he is struggling with something specific, what he tries to do is lean into the things that he knows he's actually good at, um, which I thought was interesting. And, and his reasoning was that he, you find confidence in the things that you know you're good at. So you know, you try and let's say, for example, and and this happens in eventing a lot because we have to be try and be an expert in all three phases. So there's not a day that goes by that one phase is not going to be lacking somewhere um, amongst it. So, you know, let's say in particular, the dressage is lacking for someone one day, but you're really nailing your distances in the show jumping, you know, so you think, okay, I'm going to lean into this and I'm going to jump a little bit and try some harder stuff and feel really confident there. And just know that if I keep working at this dressage and I keep myself dedicated, it will come because it always does. Um, you know, keep taking lessons and keep working at it and, 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 but, but choose to work on the things that make you confident as well. So you don't just totally feel, um, underwhelmed by everything and maybe overwhelmed is the right word, overwhelmed by everything and um, unmotivated to, to work on the things that are difficult because a- after a while you just you kind of get a little bit tunnel visioned with the things that you need to work on and it's it, it can be really discouraging so I thought that was good advice.
1: Well, on that note, I think that about wraps it up. I just want to thank you guys for your time today, and I look forward to sharing your story with our PROC readers. Thank you. During our interview, you heard Dal mention that he was looking forward to Kentucky. Spoiler alert, a few weeks ago, he and Balaytair B successfully completed their first CCI five-star event. And here's a fun little tidbit. This year marked the first year that the Land Rover Kentucky three-day event was now deemed a CCI five-star, And since Dom and Bali were the first pair to complete the show jumping phase on Sunday afternoon with an incredible double clear round, no less, they were technically the first CCI five-star riders in the world. After the event was over, Dom said, quote, Bali felt amazing and it was so cool to finish off the weekend on such a high note. I was glad that everyone got to see how much class he has. I got a monkey off my back too and achieved a goal that I have been after every day since I was a kid. It took a hell of a lot longer than I would have liked, but we got there in the end. I still feel like this nobody from Queensland, and it's kind of crazy how many people knew Bali or told me they came to see us go. It was so inspiring and motivating for me, end quote. Thank you for listening to Practical Horseman's podcast. I really appreciate your feedback, so if you have time, please rate and review the show. And join us again in two weeks. Upcoming conversations are with eventers Allison Springer, Matt Brown, and Selena O'Hanlon, and hunter writers Liza Boyd and Shelley Kemp. You can subscribe to our podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening.